0: Gee, Do I have lipstick? Good. Good morning. Good to see you guys. I, I'm going to warn you, I was on vacation last week. This sermon could go on for days. I just have so much to say. Was that Miss Pat the only one who clapped? Is that what it was? Thank you, Miss Pat. I always count on you. Um, my pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, Tommy Barnett uh, is his name, and uh, during a real uh, important season of my life, coming out of the military, preparing for ministry, I was a part of an amazing church, fastest growing church in America, I think, for 14 consecutive years. They pioneered something known as the bus ministry, Saturday Soul Winning Society, Master's Commission, largest Sunday school in American history, just an amazing church. At his uh, 70th anniversary of being in ministry, he's now he started, I think he was 13 years old, as a, as a boy evangelist, a child evangelist, traveled to India and all sorts of crazy places. They said, Do, you know, what did you learn? along the way? Do you have any regrets? Anything? If you go back in time, what would you do differently? You know what he said? He said, I would have dreamed bigger. Hey, there's, there's certain people that God brings into your life where you go, you know what? I, I think I got it, but, but I, I don't think I got it. You ever, you ever seen a professional golfer drive the ball? Completely different game than the one you and I play. My son and I went to the Buick Open back when there was a Buick Open, and, and Tiger was going to be, like, second off the tee, and we were there hanging out, and the first guy hits, like, wow, that's the hardest. I mean, that, like, did, did the ball call his mama a name? Like, that guy hit that ball so hard. Tiger got up. It was the most violent physical act. I used to be a military police officer. The most violent physical act I've ever seen was Tiger Woods hitting a golf ball. It was, it was kind of like the whole, everybody around me kind of went, oh, you know, I love your mama. Don't, don't say anything about Sager's mama. You know what I mean? Amazing. So I, I just want to say this to you. There, there's a life, I believe, that's available to people. And this isn't like, hey, go live your dreams, follow your passions. It's me saying to you, if you understand what God wants to do in your life, then the sky's the limit. When we serve and obey a limitless God, can you see where the things that limit us no longer have authority over us? Can you see that? Just philosophically, can you see that? Say yes. If you don't say yes, then I'll just get Aaron back here next week, and he can preach you, right? So Moses in Exodus chapter 3 is getting some really wonderful but really terrifying news. And the news is this. God's saying to Moses, you know that failed life, that season, that bad, that awful, that you're a loser and a murderer and a, and a coward and I I don't really see you that way. And I won't let your past negate the purpose for your creation. So I'm calling you. You are now going to be what I created you to be. Your, your past doesn't disqualify you. It may even better qualify you to be who I want you to be. So you're called, and Moses is going. Yeah, thanks, but right? How many of you guys know if God says, "Here's a promise for you"? They go, "Oh, thanks. That's good for him, or good for them, or good for Tommy Barnett, or good for." But it's not. It doesn't apply to me. And I want you to know something: the promises of God apply to you. Like, that's my job to tell you that, but I'm telling you, it's absolutely true. And the more I see you guys exercising the promises of God, the more you you walk in the will of God, the more I get to see the kingdom of God displayed through you, the more excited I get about being able to serve you. So after his earlier failures and all this stuff, Moses has just resigned himself to be a failure. I'm just going to live a quiet life in an obscure place, chase some sheep, and that's about it. And then God starts doing in his life what I believe he wants to do in a lot of our lives if he's not already doing it. And it says this in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 10 says this, so now go. God says to him, to Moses, I am sending you to the last person (laughs) in the last place to say the last thing you want to go see and say. It's to bring my people out of Israel. Now, Moses, like most of us, has some really embarrassing, let's say this, Moses was humiliated by his past. Anybody else humiliated by your past? How many guys thought Facebook was great until your old friends started looking you up? And posting the pictures of the old days next to your new days. William John Wolfington the Fourth, we called him Wolfman for obvious reasons. It was a much shorter way to get his attention. If someone's about to be hit by a car, and you scream, "William John Wolfington the Fourth, he's dead!" You know what I mean? Billy, you know, whatever. That's. But he, we were in this camp. Todd, I think you were there too. That St. Augustine Young Life Camp or Youth for Christ Camp. You might have already graduated because you're so much older than I am. But, but. Uh, <laughs> But literally, I, we did this thing. I remember uh, Dance Fever, the show Dance Fever with Danny Cheerio and Motion. We did Camp Fever with Danny Cheerios and Lotion. I was one of the dancing girls in a bikini top with socks stuffed in my bikini top and a miniskirt. And as soon as Billy found me online, guess what picture he posted for my entire congregation to see? Their cross-dressing pastor was a, was a wonderful revelation say, where's Billy now? I don't know. I think he died. Don't look him up. He's fine, you know? But understand this, guys. Hear me. None of us are the people we should be. None of us are the people we should be. But that doesn't mean that we won't be the people God's created us to be. It's true that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me say it again. It's true that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's also more true that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Your, your humiliating past does not negate a glorious future in Christ. But this is the only weapon the devil has. To get us to look at our past, instead of him looking at his future, he wants us to look at his past. So he begins to ask his questions, here's Moses' objections. We talked about this two weeks ago. Moses said to God, who am I? I guess when, the, when the devil accuses me of being a murderer and a coward and a failure, he ain't lying. I am all those things. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to be a representative of Almighty God? When you say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these are great men, and I'm nothing. And when Moses says these things to God, he's, he's not making it up. He's telling God the truth. And again, there's true, but there's more true. And this is what God says to him in response. And God said, I will be with you. The question isn't about who's being called to do something. Hear me. The question is, will the one who's being called trust the one who's calling? That is, that is faith, Faith is not, I believe there's a God, and I believe he's good, and I believe, and I believe. Faith is an actionable knowledge, a reality that lives within me deeply, that God is on my side, and I am on his, and now nothing is impossible. That's what faith is. Faith is a life of miracles, and miracles can be getting the front row parking spot at Walmart during the Christmas season, and a miracle can be opening blind eyes and raising the dead. Do you agree with that? All of them are kisses from heaven where God says, I'm in this with you. You're you're not alone. And so he says, I will be with you. And the conversation today continues. Chapter 3, verse 13. You guys ready to go? Here we go. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, hey, guys, uh, you know, I'm I'm out, and Sparky the Wonderbush starts talking to me, and this is what he said. And they asked me, what's his name? Like, we would like more details than Sparky the Wonderbush. We would like more details than you had a conversation with a burning bush in Midian that's known for its hallucinogenic mushrooms. We'd like to know a little bit more about that. They're going to ask me a question, and I think that question for us today looks like this, right? What if they ask me a question about you, God, and I don't know how to answer it? Anybody ever been faced with that one? Yeah, I'm going to go say something, well, wait a minute, you know, play out in your imagination, but if they ask me a question, I don't know the answer. Never mind. This is what I'll do. I'll be obedient when I no longer need God. Do we or do we not do that? I'll be obedient when I know everything there is to know about him, then I'll talk about him. In the meantime, I'm not sure I'm qualified to talk about God. Aren't I humble? No, you're a coward. It's not humility. It's cowardice that keeps us silent. And this is how I know this. Because again, Moses is looking at Moses. He's not looking at God. This whole process is so that Moses will take his eyes off of Moses and put his eyes on God. The whole process you're going through right now, the mountains that are bigger than your faith, the struggles, the trials, the things you're going through, hear me, whether it's gross sin, addiction, immorality, your past, your present, or the dreams of your future, listen to me, the reason it's bigger than you are is because God doesn't want you to have faith in yourself. He wants you to have faith in Him. Why does He call me to do such hard things, impossible things? Because he wants you to trust him. That's what faith is. Without faith, come on, it's impossible to please God. What pleases God is when we trust him more than we trust ourselves. And he starts with knowledge. I don't know how to do this. Like, did that stop anybody from getting married? You know, honeymoon night, you didn't know what you were doing, but somehow by the grace of God, you figured it out. Way to go, way to go. (laughs) Having kids, anybody ever had a child before, but you figured it out, ladies, right? It kind of came natural supernaturally, right? Being a father, I held my baby in my arms for the first time. I'm like, I'm going to break him. And he looked at me like, I don't trust you either. (laughs) But we figured it out. Impossible does not exist in the vocabulary of God, except it's impossible for God to lie. And what God says to you about you is if you'll trust him, you get to do his stuff. You get to carry him to Egypt. You get to kill giants. You get to raise the dead. So Again, I think Moses and, and us, we would prefer not to need God. We, we want to have faith in ourselves. But God answers this question. But you know, What if they ask me a question? I don't know the answer. This is what he says. He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Or I will be what I will be is another way to look at that in Hebrew. This is what you're to tell the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, I know that's a little hard to understand. I'm not sure that I've fully grasped it. But this is why we get out of that. I think what God is saying is two things. One is, you know, if they ask me a question about you, how do I answer it? How many of you guys understand you, you know or have a chance to fully explain the, the incredibleness of, of his deity, the unbelievableness of, of, his, of his infinite power and wisdom that an ant can walk up to a, the space shuttle and go, you know what that is? Like, you have no idea what that is. But you can say it's big and it's white and flame shoot out its butt, right? I mean, that, you would know that because you, that's what an ant can say. So for us to say, until I know everything there is about the one who's unknowable, unsearchably wise, unbelievably cool— unfathomably loving until I know everything I won't talk about him you're negating what you do know about him and what he can teach you in the moment all you need to know is this second thing is this tell him I am is so what's that mean well God are you going to help me with this God would say I am are you going to heal me I am will you provide for me if I go will you be my provider I am Well, you need to know about God what you need to know about Jesus is this all the promises of God come on they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That's what you need to know about him. But, but if, if I have a business decision, but if I have a moral decision, but if I have a, a family situation, I, what will I do? I, I don't know what to do. That's okay. It's okay that we don't know what to do because we serve the one who knows what to do. It's okay that we're powerless because we serve the one who's all-powerful. Are you getting this today? Faith is not having what you need. It's having the one who does. And if you have that, man, you've got so much. The conversation continues. I know I'm rushing, but I really want to get to this last point. Chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor in the last 90 seconds since we've been having this conversation, (laughs) if I've been given some grace. I'm slow in speech, and I'm slow in tongue. Now, I think what Moses is saying is not just about speech, but he's saying something along these lines. I, I don't have the gifts that I need. Like, you're calling me to go someplace, to do something, to be someone. I I mean, certainly someone who stands before Pharaoh shouldn't stand there and go, um, the, uh, um, ah. Uh. I mean, Pharaoh's not going to put up with that. The most eloquent teachers and wise people and sorcerers in the land would stand before Pharaoh, and only they had the opportunity to say a thing. And a guy comes in smelling like sheep and a burning bush walks in and goes, ah. Like, that's what Moses is imagining. I'm going to walk in and go, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, oh, well, um, where shall we start? I don't want to be that guy. And so he's saying, I don't, I don't have the gifts that I need, but here's a wonderful promise. Listen to what God says to him about his lack. You ready for this? Like if, if you're afraid of anything because you don't have what it takes, listen to what God says. The Lord said to him, I will help you in the areas where you need my help in this place speaking. And I will teach you. God himself says to those who will obey, I will help you, and I will teach you. Isn't that beautiful? That may not hit you the way it hits me, but God asked me to do a lot of impossible things. You know, Celine, great community, needs to be reached. It's like, oh, yeah, that somebody should do that, God. And then it kind of comes back to you. Like, why don't you do something about it? Like, how many loaves and fish do you have? That moment, you know what I'm talking about? And you go, well, I, not enough, but thanks for asking. And someday when we have all the money and we have twice the staff and all the people are excited about it and everything's aligned perfectly, how many of guys know that if you wait for everything to be ready, you'll never do a thing? Because I don't think God's interested in our strength as much as the display of his strength for his glory. You getting this today? But my life's so hard. Oh, that's so exciting to me. (laughs) But it's, it's such an impossible test. Starting this business, fixing this marriage, going this place, going on the Rome trip, moving to Saline to be a part of the leadership team, whatever it is, whatever God is calling you to do, it is a good thing that you can't do it. It's a great thing. It's a glorious thing. Because in your weakness, what happens to his strength? Right? So God's teaching Moses that his weaknesses are what's needed to display God's strength. Hear me. This is for you. This is for Moses. Our best qualifications to glorify God are our disqualifications to have any chance of succeeding without him. Does this sound familiar to you at all? Those who attempted pretty impossible things here recently? Those who have 30 dealerships in their, in their their heart somewhere, you know? Those of you who start ministries that require large fundraising things that took half my vacation funds. Thanks, Tammy. Dana got excited at the auction, you know. You know? Does this make sense? The men's conferences, the, the stuff that God puts in your heart. How many guys got ever put something in your heart and it just wasn't possible? Can I see your hand? Congratulations. You're qualified for the miraculous life that God has called you to. And you couldn't raise your hand. That, that makes me a little bit concerned. Because maybe what we're doing is we're not, we're not even listening for impossible things. We're only looking to get through another day. Hear me. You are not created to survive. You are created to live an abundant life. Say, what is life, Jim? Life is a series of ups and downs. Do you see that? Jesus said, I've come that they might have life more abundantly. A <laughs> lot higher highs, a lot lower lows. Why? Because there's a lot more love that motivates what we do. Your faith in God opens to you a world where your only regret will be after seven years of living it is you didn't dream bigger dreams. I've held the hands of so many people and with their dying breaths, they look at me and they say, that was it? I mean, in essence, that was, I never got on first base. I'm not even sure I ever swung the bat. And everything God gave me has now been expended and I feel like what I have to show for it is so small. Now, I'm grateful for the grace of God. How about you? I'm grateful that we don't, we're not saved by our works They shouldn't be ashamed to stand before the Lord, covered in the blood of Jesus, cleansed from all their sins. Come on, somebody say amen. But as far as I'm concerned, I want to present to him a life of labor, a life of loving, sacrificial, beautiful, painful, bloody warfare. I want to hand God a different world. I want to hand God a different wife than when I met her. I want to hand God my children and my grandkids. I want to hand God you. See, I didn't waste it. Sometimes they drove me nuts, but I didn't stay on vacation. I came back because I couldn't wait to come back and see what you would do with this Sunday's message. Guys, you got to hear me. If you're not investing your life, then what are you doing with it? Because if you're spending it, it's not, don't spend your hours. Invest your hours. Don't spend your days. Invest your days. And I don't mean invest like, like a 5% return. I mean like, like a I don't know, 30, 60, 100 fold Jesus promises us. What I'm saying is this the one I really want to take a good look at is this last one, because I think this is the one we get hung up on the most. Moses answered, What if they don't believe me? What if they listen? They don't listen to me? They, they say, You know, the Lord didn't appear to you. What's he really saying is this What if they, them, those, what if they think I'm nuts? Like, if I start dreaming these dreams, if I start living these things, if I start going after the stuff, I mean, I'm going to have to, like, quit a job maybe or change some habits or start a new company or work overtime or, or, you know, trust God and work less hours. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but whatever it is, what, what, if, what if I do that and they go, ah, I love you too much to let you ruin your life, man. Like, not everybody stands at your burning bush, and here's what God said to you. And sometimes what you say God told you to do sounds pretty crazy to other people. Friend of mine, best man at Dean and I's wedding. He invented something called the human video. You ever heard of it? Or like a song plays and then they they act it out. I woke up one morning, Randy Phillips in his boxer shorts. We were roommates. Full-length mirror. He's got his Walkman cassette. Walkman. Back in the cool days when audio was audio. You know what I mean? He had his. He has bright orange foam headphones on, and I, I and I wake up to this. He's whispering in the mirror by himself in pink boxer shorts. I'll kill you, Christ. You'll never win this fight. The demons wheeze That's right there. Ain't no way. Satan jeered, you're dead mate, Jesus. I'm gonna bust you up tonight. Jesus said, go ahead and make my day. Remember that song? It was, it was at the Champion, I think, by Carmen, right? If you didn't get that, you missed out on a really cool season of the church. That's all I'm saying. Really cool. And, and uh, I said, Randy, he's like, oh, you're awake. I can't wait. I'm like, I, first of all, men in pink boxer shorts should not hug men that are still in bed. That's just, just it should be a rule. It's in the book of Brethakia. Somewhere in the Bible, it probably says that. Are you of, of the One of the minor prophets. But he said, I got it. And my first thought was, I hope it's not contagious, right? And he said, I've got it. I'm going to act these things out. We're going to translate the songs and do it in Mexico and in France. And this is going to, from the outhouse to the White House, we're going to win the world for Jesus. I'm like, you're a nut. And because, I, I literally said this, this guy is changing the evangelistic. He's giving the body of Christ an evangelistic tool that literally has gone around the world. The first time he did it for anybody, it was me, and this is what I said to him. Randy, buddy, skinny people shouldn't prance. <laughs> Thank God he didn't listen to me. He pranced on, put on some clothes, went to his nursing home where he was a chaplain, and he did it, you know? God had you know, he's Jesus, then he's the devil, then he's Jesus, you know what I mean? And they loved it. Now, they loved it to the place I'm questioning. Did they double their meds that day or not give it to them or what, Right? Because it was like, that's awesome. Well, one of the people that worked there said, I'm a youth sponsor at my church. Why don't you come here? So he went and did that. Man, Randy did his thing. God did his thing. It was so great. Like, the place was filled the next week. The next week, the pastor said, listen, would you come on a Sunday morning? And from that, it was two years later, he was on the main stage at general council in front of 30,000 assemblies of God, pastors and missionaries, doing his thing while well, God did his thing. You know what I'm saying? Listen, to just because God spoke to you doesn't mean people around you will see it or even believe it. So we've got to be good at knowing what God said to us because God won't speak to everybody. Sometimes he just speaks to you. So Moses is speaking to God, but he's worried about what they, them, those are going to think. I love that God doesn't ignore, he doesn't rebuke, and he doesn't belittle this fear of man. How many guys know we all have the fear of man? We all like to be liked. Matter of fact, we'd love to be loved. Um, and And he's dealing with this. But instead, God's going to show him what he can do through something more simple than even Moses. Here's his answer. Ready? What if I go in and I think I'm nuts? I, I, what do I? He said, here's, "Here's the answer." Then the Lord said to him, "What is that in your hand? A staff, a stick?" He replied. The Lord said, "Throw it on the ground." You guys doing good? Hear me, hear me, hear me. What he just did was this. It's, it's such a beautiful picture. I love pictures. He said, "What's that in your hand?" He goes, it's, uh, "It's my staff." Well, can I ask you what was his staff before it was his staff? Anybody know? It was a stick. He lives in Midian. Midian's got mountains that are about 9,500 feet above sea level. It's got valleys full of green grass. He's a shepherd. There's a lot of wilderness in there. But certainly a tree would not be a rare thing. And what what are forests made out of but millions and millions and millions of? The ground is littered with sticks. The trees are littered with sticks. The whole forest is made out of sticks. He goes, what's that in your hand? What is that common? Hear me. Ordinary? Nothing special about it. What is that thing that you picked up, and because you picked it up, it became extraordinary. What is that thing in your hand? See, you're not the first thing to go through this process. That thing in your hand went through a process too. It was once one of millions, a piece of nothing, a worthless, without value, without any sort of preciousness to it. And then you picked it up and you made a stick into a staff. You know that's the staff he's going to hold up and part the Red Sea with? That's the staff he's going to hold over and and the plagues of locusts and rivers of blood. And it was nothing more than a stick. And every time Moses used that stick, God reminded him, I'm the God who can use anything you lay before me. And that's what he tells him to do. I take that stick, that staff, and lay it before me. When it does, it hits the ground, and it turns into a serpent. And Moses, being the great Steve Irwin reptile lover that he is, runs just like a little girl and just like I would do. If it turned into anything, I'm booking. But a snake, I'm booking as fast as I can book. And God says, pick it up. And he goes, okay, you know, and he picks it up, turns back into a stick. And He says, okay. And here's the moral of the story. Anything you put before me becomes what I want it to be, no matter what it once was. Piano guy, join me if you would. Anything you put before me, any gift, any problem, any talent, any life, it becomes what I want it to be. When it's yielded to me, I decide what it is, not you that common, everyday, ordinary, worthless thing that you transformed into a tool, that's exactly what I'm gonna do with you, Mo. It's time for you to be done being one of the three stooges, Larry, Mo, and Curly. It's time for you to stop being the failure. What I'm asking you to do, I'm not negating your worthlessness. I'm not not arguing with you about what you can't do. That's the point. The point is this. Whatever you give to me, I decide what it'll become. He does it again with his hand. Put your hand in your cloak. He does it. Now pull it out. It's leprous white as snow. Well, what is more common to a man than his own hands? Just put it back in again. Like, oh, that's nasty. It smells bad. You know, pulls it out, and it's it's like brand new skin. What's he doing? He's saying this. I can change. I can move. I can motivate. I, I can alter. I can adjust. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you know the story, those guys weren't perfect either. I work. In, with, and through anything and anyone yielded to me. And so Moses is saying, "But I, I don't know what to do." So verse thirteen, he just he just lays it on the line. Here it is. You ready? This is where a lot of us are. But Moses said, "If you'll just do me a favor, pardon me." The the problem, I guess, in essence, is not just that I'm dumb and I don't speak well. And I'm being really honest with you. The problem is, I believe in you. I'm talking to you. For me to deny your existence would be the the height of an insult and insanity. The problem is not really you. I don't believe in me the way you believe in me. So you're asking me to be something. I just can't. I mean, I just don't. I just... I see what I've done, and I think you've made a mistake. So if you don't mind, could you just ask somebody else? I'll, I'll be a great support to them. I'll be a cheerleader for them. I'll, I'll, they can borrow my stick if they want. I'll, they can put their hand in my cloak and, and you know, turn it into dirty flesh and gravy. You're asking me for something. Like I believe in you. I can hear your voice. It's like thunder. I don't believe in me. Now, think of this: Moses sees he's unworthy, he's ignorant, he's not credible, and he's incapable. But here, here's a quick question too: and where is Moses looking? That leads into the building blocks of his failure. Where's he looking? Where's he looking? Second thing is: where is God trying to get him to look? I promise you, on the authority of Scripture, that as God calls, he enables, he provides, he teaches. Well, could you do those things and then I'll do it? No. (laughs) Because if he gave it to you for you to go do it, then you're doing it. But if he doesn't give it to you and you go anyway, trusting that he'll show up when you need him, it's a scary way to live. But it's called living by faith, not faith in you, not faith in it, not faith in them or those or these, faith in Christ. If you call me and I obey, then I trust that when I get there, I don't go alone. You go with me. Those who look at what and who God has called will always lack what's needed to obey. You'll never have enough education, enough money, enough time, enough energy, enough courage, enough, you never will. But the, only those who see beyond themselves to what God sees when he looks at them can obey. That's just the way it works, right? So here, here's my last question for you. Here it is, you ready? Summed up the whole day. What could life be like if you started to see what God sees when he looks at you? How would life change if you started to see what God sees when he looks at you? The theme of this year is let's do this. Like, let's do this. I don't know what's in your heart. I'm not sure what God's laid on there or what challenges are before you, if it's a business thing or a family thing, if it's a crisis or an opportunity. But I know this. Those who don't let weakness stop obedience will get both strength and the fruit of obedience. Those who wait for the perfect moment will miss every moment. Those who drop down and take the shot... They got a bunch of things on the side of their fighter jet, right? You you, you have to. Faith is not seeing it. It's believing it, even though you can't see it. It's the substance of things that we, I mean, they're in there. We, I mean, we hope for them, and it, it's the evidence. Like, I, because, I, because I've because i been called, I trust, like, it's, I, I believe this. It's, it's substance. I don't know how it is, because it hasn't happened yet, but I, I see that he sees it, and that he wants to use me, and I, I'm compelled to be a part of this. Don't let Anything that's happened in your life exclude you from everything God wants to do through your life. So I wish I could have Pastor Burnett stand up here at 86 years old and walk out on the stage like he did when I was just a young man and tell you what he told me for those two years of being under his his teaching. And then hearing what he said after 70 years of ministry, I just wish I would have dreamed bigger because I never outdreamed God and I never outgave him. And I never outserved him. And everything I put before him, he multiplied. Lyndon, we're going to let you go. Guys, God bless you, campuses, as you go. Uh, We love you. Pastor Jason, bring it home. The rest of us, could you stand up for just a moment or two here? Pastor Carl, they try to leave now. Would you write down their names? I'm, I'm, I'm proposing them as deacons tonight if they do. I'll punish them one way or the other. Close your eyes, would you? All over this room. If nothing were impossible that God, not not ego, not fame, not anger, but God, if nothing were impossible that God put on your heart, what would you do to express the obedience that he desires? What could life be like if you saw what God sees? You stop looking at the things that have stumbled you in the past, you start looking at God's holiness flowing through you in the future. What would life be like if you didn't worry about money because, God, are you my provider? And he goes, I, I am. Are you my teacher? I am. Are you the one that will lead me through this process? I, I am. I most certainly am. What if he didn't became the, you know, the, the the God of the flannel graph in the basement of the Pentecostal church with the blue-haired lady, you know what I mean, on the, the cold metal chair, what if he was alive inside of you and through you in such a way that nothing was impossible? God's been dealing with me a lot about his kingdom lately. It's, uh, yesterday morning, I spent, uh, for me, a very long time just thinking about preaching a sermon. I believe the Holy Spirit was preaching to me, but it was, it was my words like I was preaching it to you. And I, I think at some point I will say something about it. It was just about jurisdiction. Besaleia, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a word they use for kingdom your kingdom come, your besaleia, your jurisdiction, the rules that govern, you come, come here with those rules, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I started to, started to ask questions about the things that seem to have authority that shouldn't have authority, like they should be arrested. They should be arrested. The, 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 the authority of the kingdom, the exousia, the authority given to us through the great commission, gives us the right to do certain things in his name. Back in the old days, we'd arrest somebody and say, under whose authority Say, in the name of the king? And they go, oh, okay, I'm in his kingdom. I guess if the king said it, I'm arrested. Understand this. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he is in the process right now of building his kingdom on earth. We have a certain jurisdiction that we bring with us. And in that jurisdiction, things should be tried, found guilty, and they should be banished from the lives, the bodies, the minds, the spirits, of people that want to be under that jurisdiction. Does that make sense? Afraid to pray for the sick because what if they don't? Pray afraid to pray for deliverance, because what if what if it gets worse? Pray, afraid to pray. Like I think we live in so much fear because we think we think about past failures of our own, or maybe attempts that we made that weren't successful. Maybe, well, I'll just I'll just have a faith in God who does nothing. And I'll focus on morality as if morality pleases God. When it's clear morality is not the measure. It's without faith, it's impossible. To please Him. I just believe there's a lot of ministries. There's a lot of businesses. There's a lot of families. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Jesus stuff He wants to bring through you. So today's word is just this. We've stood at a burning bush many times in our lives and God has spoken to us. Sometimes it was a whisper. Sometimes it was a strong unction like getting hit by a wave of just liquid gold, right? But in this moment, what would obedience look like what could life be like if you saw what God sees when he looks at you and nothing were impossible? So, Father, I, I'll leave that question in the hearts of your people. I'll leave that question in the hearts of your people. They don't have to be any, <laughs> any more special than a stick in a forest. No more eloquent than a donkey who speaks. No more, you know, glorious than a colt who carried Christ through the streets. People shout at Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What an honor it is to obey. If you're here today and you're just you're not right with God, then let's do something about it right now. What does He see when He looks at you? Some sinner deserving hell, or some son or daughter waiting for adoption? The Bible is extraordinarily every page clear that what He sees, He loves. He wants you safe. He wants you home. He wants you to be his. And if you're not his, because you belong to another God, you belong to yourself, your flesh, your fears. Today, you literally are one decision away from erasing everything that's ever been done, good, bad, and ugly, in your past and birthing your destiny. That choice is will you choose Jesus? Will you prefer him? Will you come to him? in faith, believing that He loves you, believing that what He did on the cross was sufficient. It it was more than enough that, that what He has done is greater than what you have done. It's true that you're a sinner, but it's more true that He makes saints out of sinners and sons and daughters out of sinners. It's more true. I've seen it a thousand, I've seen it hundreds of thousands of times. Today, you're not the exception. You're the rule, man. God loves you because He made a decision about you a long time ago before you were born to love you. Nothing you've done has ever changed that decision. It's your turn now. Will you respond to that love? Jesus, here I am. Come on. Right now. Jesus, here I am. Lock, stock, and barrel. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, here I am. From this day forward, I belong to you. Forgive me of my sins. Erase the wasted days and multiply the days ahead. That I would not be a man or a woman of doubt, but a man or a woman of faith, trust, and obedience. Nothing is impossible with you, God. Nothing is impossible with you. Come on, nothing is impossible with you. So I come to you and ask you to do whatever you want to do. Will you just take your life right now? And like a stick, will you just lay it before the Lord? And whatever you put before the Lord becomes what the Lord says it is. Not what your accuser says it is. In Jesus' name those who have the ministry of like prayer, would you come forward? we gonna be praying for some people this morning. We'd love to pray for you. Nothing's impossible with God. You need healing, you need deliverance, you need to talk for a little while, you wanna get closer to God. There's still stuff that God wants to do in your life, but it hasn't happened yet. That's what this season's for, for you to be ready. Okay. If you got that, would you um, either go that way and grab your kiddos, come this way and get your prayer, but let's just kind of let this room be a, a holy space for a while. You're dismissed. God bless you. See you again very, very soon. Excited about the weeks ahead.